Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to a completely unnecessary podcast for Tuesday, May 3rd, 2016, alongside Ian Ferguson. Oh, wait a minute. Ian is on vacation right now. He's in either Buffalo or Toronto, I think. So you got me only. I'm Pat Contry. I'll be holding down the ship solo. We've got a lot of stuff going on the past couple weeks in the world of retro video games, modern video game news, movies, YouTube events, and much more. We're we talking about The Legend of Zelda getting pushed back, the new version for the Wii U getting pushed back to March 17th, excuse me, March 2017 to coincide with the launch of Nintendo's new NX system. We'll be talking about uh, three stadium events on eBay at the same time. We'll be talking about uh, maybe a scumbag saw over the week if I'm in the mood. Blizzard rethinking uh, about those vanilla uh, unauthorized WoW servers. Maybe maybe getting them back up and going again. Call of Duty Infinite War announced and with a trailer uh, and a little bit of Q&A. But first, we've got a couple of sponsors to help pay the bills. First, Embracewear. Hey guys, Jerry here from Embracewear. We have a new game coming soon, which is named Wee Man Sniper. If you would like to be notified when the game is released, enter your email address at http colon backslash backslash weeman.com. It'll be available on iOS, Android, Mac, and PC. As always, you can get a sneak peek of what we're working on by checking us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're at Embraceware on each. A second sponsor. We have another sponsor, Geek Mixology. New to the web, but not to the game. Geekmixology.com is an up-and-coming place where vodka meets video games. At Geek Mixology, you will find creative cocktails made by experienced mixologists and diehard gamers. We are not only fans of the retro community, but contributors as well. Please stop by our little spot on the web and stay tuned for new videos, drink recipes, and upcoming events. We at Geek Mixology are huge fans of the CU Podcast, and thanks for being sponsors. Uh, and check us out at geekmixology.com. So what's been going on in Pat's world? I just got back from Houston Retropalooza a couple of days ago. It was actually in Pasadena, but we're not going to be too technical. Uh, it was fun time. Um, I got to hang out and be roommates with my pal Norm Caruso, the gaming historian. Check him out if you have not at this point. I uh, met a lot of cool cool listeners and, and fans of the podcast and the Pat the NES Punk videos and others. I did a couple panels. I did a retro game collecting panel. And I also did, uh, I, guess, I guess, a Pat Contry panel. And I announced a few things, uh, such as uh, I shot a Pat the NES Punk uh, video last week. I actually shot two back-to-back. I have to start editing and get, get those out. The book is just about done. I should be finalizing the physical proof in a day or so. The digital version is still available and finished, and you can get more info on both and or pre-order the physical and get the digital one at ultimatenes.com. Next up on my stops around the world, Pat is international. I'll be in Norway at Retro Spill Messen, and that's already coming up on Wednesday the 11th. 
and that'll I'll be there at the was it the weekend of the 14th and 15th, and I'll be back home that Wednesday. And then end of June, June 24th, 25th, I'll be at too many games in Pennsylvania. Still have to book that flight. And that's what's going on uh, with that. Remember, my pal Brennelfloss still has, he still has a uh, a Kickstarter going on for his new mobile game. Excuse me, mobile, well, well, it's a, a console game, Wii U it'll be on, but it uses uh, mobile phones to control. It's a party game, sort of like the... Jack Party Games, and it's at useyourwordsgames.com. So check it out. Show them some love there. Uh, so that's fine and dandy. And so going back to Retrovalooza Houston real quick, uh, I got the chance to experience some of the local cuisine. I got some barbecue. Uh, Norm's grandma. Actually, uh, <laughs> Norm visited his grandma, I think, that Friday night. And then he brought back some like brisket and ribs for me. From uh, from grandma's that night, so that was great. But we went to this place called Cheddar's on Saturday night. I guess it's a local chain restaurant, but it's a nice chain, and everything's homemade. And I went with Norm and uh, Gerard, the completionist, who was there, and also his friend Gerard's friend was there. And uh, I, I, and we were all just flabbergasted. We wouldn't stop talking about Cheddar's for, for the remaining twenty four hours we were in uh, Houston. We're talking like a seven dollar restaurant burger made from scratch that was delicious we're talking i got a margarita for like four bucks that would have cost me 11 or 12 here in san diego so we ate like kings for like 18 bucks each and that included like drinks and appetizers it was amazing i i I wish cheddars could be a sponsor and if you'd like to be a sponsor of the cu podcast uh shoot an email to cu podcast at the punk effect.com and, uh, yeah, we'll have some options available if you'd like to be a, a, a sponsor either for the audio version and or a video segment. That's a CU podcast at thepunkeffect.com. So let's start off with some pretty big news here. The Legend of Zelda, the Wii U version. I remember at E3 2000, oh my god, 11, they had a demo for a Legend of Zelda game that would eventually be on the Wii U. And it would go some twi- through twists and turns, become an open-world game. It would go from sort of a Twilight Princess look to a cell-shaded. They kept pushing it back, first from the end of 2015, about, to like 2016. And now they're pushing it back again. It's going to come out now March 2017. But here's the kicker, folks. Folks? Folks. What's a foat? It will be released on two systems simultaneously. The Wii U... And the new Nintendo NX system. Kind of an unexpected move. And this was revealed uh, during a Nintendo's shareholders press press conference call from President uh, Kimashima. Originally, uh, they said, and and a lot of people said, Ian was saying, "Ah, this holiday seemed reasonable. And a lot of people in the industry said this holiday was going to be when it was going to be released since the last Nintendo system came out uh holiday november december 2006 uh the wii and then the wii u came out in a similar time frame in 2012 i always maintain that four years in between systems was way too quick especially for nintendo they usually like to have at least five and this at least uh is closer to my guess but it's it's better for everyone because it's four and a half years between systems it's not as unreasonable as uh four years and you don't have to have that long-ass wait until 5, because honestly, at this point, what new games are going to be on <laughs> the Wii U going forward? 
They just came out with Star Fox Zero, which has gotten pretty good reviews. I know some people have complained about the controls. I just talked to Gerard, the completionist, this past weekend, and he said that people are up in arms over really nothing about the controls, especially since you can turn off motion and things like that. Uh, other than that, there's nothing really else on the horizon for Nintendo. Obviously, third-party support is terrible on the Wii U. It's, it's almost non-existent. So they have Pokemon, uh, what is that, Sun and Moon coming out later in the year, but that's what, 3DS, it's not even, it's not even Wii U. So really, this is it. This is your last game, uh, Legend of Zelda on Wii U. But people are upset. They want it now. But you have to understand something. It's more important for Nintendo not to please you about getting the Legend of Zelda Wii U out earlier versus making sure that the, uh, the NX has a, has a successful launch. Because Nintendo's losing money right now. Uh, they had a bad fiscal quarter. No one's buying the 3DS anymore. Because everyone has one. The integration, you know, with, with the consumers, it's, it's basically, you know, saturated at this point. Uh, and, and not many pe- more people are going to buy the Wii U. They have to make money somehow. And the NX is the, is the solution to both, really, the handheld slowing down and the Wii U being dead in the water. So this is a smart move, a very smart move, not just because I said they should wait until 2017 to launch because they're choosing a reason which I didn't think about at first. But remember, remember when the Wii U came out originally in November of 2012, it had a horrific, laughably bad launch lineup. It was 23 games about or 24 but of those 23, 24, yeah, you had your, your uh, Batman Arkham, you, you know, game that wasn't, it wasn't an exclusive, but it was like its own armored core edition. You had like Assassin's Creed 3 uh, Wii U version. There was nothing exclusive really on the system when it came out. There was no reason for people to say, oh, I want to buy the Wii U. These were like the big exclusive launch titles. You ready? You had Nintendo Land, which was a pack-in. That was a glorified tech demo. Fun game, but it was a tech demo. Uh, New Super Mario Bros. U. Good game, successful game for when it came out. But that was really your only strong launch title out of the bunch. You had a mediocre game called Rabbids Land. Wish Ian was here to tell me about it. And then you had Zombie U, which while I played a little bit, I thought was fun. That's not really the sort of uh, fiery lineup you want for exclusive launch titles. All the rest of the titles that came out, just about all of them, you could get on either the PC as well or PS3 uh, and the 360. So, this is a great move. Because remember, when Twilight Princess came out, it was when the GameCube was was winding down. And so that was sort of the last big GameCube title. And it was a Wii launch title as well. And you know what? Nintendo's probably like, yeah, we remember that Wii being successful. And not that it was because the Wii was not successful because of Twilight Princess being a launch title, but it didn't hurt. It sure as hell didn't hurt. And you know why I know that? Because when I see Twilight Princesses out there, I say 80-90% of the ones I see are Wii versions and not GameCube. So that probably did urge people who even had a GameCube, GameCube to say, you know what? I want the slightly better graphics, man. I want the gimmicky motion controls, and I'll try that out. I'm going to go for the Wii launch version of Twilight Princess and not the GameCube. So this is a very smart move. Very smart move. And you know what? I might be on board right away. Uh, the last two 
consoles. The Wii U, I, I waited a good, I don't know, eight, nine months to buy it. And the original Wii, I waited over a year. Uh, over a year to buy it. I say, yeah. So I'm going to be on board right right away with this. Not sure I'm a big fan of the cel-shaded Legend of Zelda, but open world Zelda, yeah, why not? And, 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 even pushing back the launch window three, four months gives Nintendo, very important, time to work better with third-party developers, get them under their wing, and have really good third-party launch titles available right out of the gate. Not just, yeah, not just your Batman game and your Assassin's Creed that are already out in other systems. I'm talking games that will be coming out simultaneously, maybe, simultaneously on Xbox One and your PS4 to finally have that sort of Nintendo integration of third-party support that can stand up to the other two big dogs. And I think that's what Nintendo's banking on here. Time to get those dev kids out to those developers right away, six months in advance, seven months in advance, and just simply port the game over. Because early reports are that porting the games over to the Wii U is going to be insanely simple based upon the NX architecture that's going to be inside it. So I'm, I'm very happy about this. Very happy. Um, now, the other news is that Nintendo NX will not be shown off at E3 this year. They're going to forego that. Which, at first I was kind of like surprised because that's their sort of chance to you know, make a big splash. But then again, their, their Nintendo Directs are their own direct marketing, and you know what? Not only is it a lot cheaper to have a smaller booth, and they will be showing off Legend of Zelda uh, at E3 this year, but they don't need to, to, to rent out the Nokia Theater next door anymore or, you know, hire uh, 40 booth babes and, and 60 other employees to work on Nintendo's, you know, Treehouse booth, I think they had their Treehouse section with their uh, layout. They don't have to do that. Just produce our cute little 10, 15-minute web videos we'll put out quarterly, and we'll release it on our time, and it'll have just the same effect, if not better, getting the word out than going through IGN or or, uh, Polygon or any of these other uh, maybe soon-to-be-defunct game news networks that are really going the way of the Dodo. Well, E3 definitely is, (laughs) if this is any sign. Hate to say it, E3. But you might have peaked uh, three, four years ago. And now with YouTubers spreading the news uh, and the the companies themselves, the publishers themselves spreading the news, it's not really needed. The trade show, eh, it's not. We got social media now. We don't need that. Hate to say it. So NX, March launch window. That's a strange window to launch in. Hasn't happened before, but has it? Remember uh, Remember that NES system? Remember that one? Yes, it test marketed in the New York area in uh, October and fall and early winter of 85. But in spring 86, they started rolling that puppy out to more regions in the U.S., like L.A. and others. So it could work. It could be fine. And this gives them a good, I'd say, two and a half years, even if even if there is a PS5 and Xbox 2 or something, which at this point I don't see there being full versions of. I think we're done with the console uh, console generations, which I'll get into later. Even if that happens, though, that gives Nintendo a good two and a half to three years at least of having hardware that's just as powerful or almost as the Xbox One and the PS4 to have the third party, the same third party support in all three systems, and Nintendo gets right back into the action, right back in. So, 
I think Nintendo's doing this is a great move. I don't see why people are complaining about this, especially if they remembered that the Wii U launch titles were absolute garbage. And that really, besides the awful name that everyone thought it was a Wii add-on, and people still think that, some people, uh, that this, that really hurt the Wii U out of the gate not having really good launch titles. And now, now you got a chance. Maybe you'll see Call of Duty Infinite on the, uh, on the NX. I almost called it the Wii NX just because, you know, it's kind of a habit after calling two systems the same thing in a row, which is ridiculous. So... So good on you, Nintendo. People saying uh, gloom and doom on Nintendo. I mean, you're going to say that anyway. There's people out there that think every move Nintendo makes is bad, whether it's waiting to actually have a decent launch uh, lineup for their system or saying, oh, you're pushing back Zelda because I want to play it. Well, I'm sorry. You're going to have to wait to see. It's going to be a good game, uh, but you're going to have to wait a little bit. Let's talk Call of Duty Infinite Warfare. (laughs) It's a strange name. For it's looking to be a strange game. So the trailer's out, and we got a release date. So I first saw this pop up on Twitter, and I was like, oh, Call of Duty, Infinite Warfare. Sort of like fourth dimensional, in a way. And I watched the trailer, and what this looks to be is... <laughs> it's It looks like an answer to not just you know, a first-person modern warfare genre. But it looks like this is Infinity Ward's sort of response to, like, space exploration games and the hype of, like, No Man's Sky that's coming out on uh, PS4. But, like, also, like, Elite Dangerous and Star Citizen. Now, I'm not sure that, like, Infinity Ward saw... The huge amounts of money that's that uh, Star Citizen is raking in without it even being released yet, and said, "You know what? We want some of that market. We want some of that space shooter market with some first-person shooter integration of our series." And said, "We, we want to do that." But that's what this looks to be. When I saw the trailer, I was sort of like, "All right, it looks like you know the advanced warfare a little bit. They have these suits; you can jump around a little bit." But then it's like you have these space hover hover ships. Almost like those uh, ships you see like in those Avengers movies. They're like planes, but like 30, 40 years in the future. You know, that maybe can fly into space. Or something you'd see in Starship Troopers. And that's what you see here. It's, it's, very, it's very interesting. Very interesting. It's very bold to make that move. I mean, because they jumped from... Remember, remember the original, uh, you know, few Call of Duties were World War II, right? Call of Duty 4 was Modern Warfare. Then you have a, you know, a few of those bu- uh, puppies. And then you go straight to uh, Advanced Warfare, which is like jumping around with, you know, with like Iron Man tech, basically. And then you come out with a trailer that looks like, it's okay, starting off, oh, then it's like an alien invasion. And then you find out it's not an alien invasion. It's like, what, it's like an Earth Defense Force that turns against the humans or something and wants to take over, but they are humans. Not really sure what the full story is, but it's interesting that they feel the need to go in this direction versus staying literally grounded on the Earth and doing, you know, okay, we can go a little more advanced with our, you know, Iron Man tech, you know, like the, the exoskeleton suits, which they do, which they are developing the military to enable you to be stronger and to jump, you know, like 20, 30, 30 feet in the air. 
Yeah, but then, like, halfway through the trailer, they take off and fly into space. And it's like, holy shit, this is Elite Dangerous. Now, obviously, there are games, like, in this genre, whether it's Battlefield or, you know, Star Wars Battlefront, where, you know, you can fly around and be on the ground. So as long as this is totally foreign. But, yeah, but in the trailer, it's a space battle. It's a space battle with ships that you can fly and, you know, lasers coming at you, big motherships and small planes, and then they, they show scenes outside the ships that are like blown up and you're in, you know, zero gravity and you're ready to fly into space, grab, grabbing onto parts of ships to stay in there. So it still has that sort of cinematic tone to it. But, again, in space. So it'll be interesting to see how the COD fans respond to this. And so far, it hasn't been good, especially on YouTube. The trailer came out May 2nd, and more than more than half, I'd say it's a good 55%, maybe 60%, are thumbs down versus thumb up. So maybe this was a bridge too far. Bridge too far. Bridge too far for Infinity War. Ward. I almost said Infinity War. Well, Infinity Warfare, Infinity Ward. Yeah, maybe they realize, hey, we'll just take our name and make it the next Call of Duty uh, sequel. <laughs> I think, like I said, it's bold because if you want to do a space, you know, space shooter game, they're out there, Elite Dangerous, Star Citizen, which Star Citizen is going to incorporate first-person shooter aspects, which probably won't be as polished as, you know, the Call of Duty franchise, which has been around for, what, like 15 years? Not saying that, more than 15 years. Uh, but it, it, it might turn out people that just want the good old, you know, I want my M4 carbine, I want to throw grenades, flashbangs, and maybe have drone strikes as my big tech. You know, maybe that's where I'm going to stop. I don't know. Tell me in the comments. Did uh, Advanced Warfare, did that sort of meet expectations, do that well? Did the whole Kevin Spacey thing work out? Or did uh, Infinity Ward make a big miscalculation because they didn't realize that probably all the teenagers that bought uh, Call of Duty Advanced Warfare probably didn't know who the hell Kevin Spacey was. I hate to say it. And what's that came out what, like a year ago? Two years ago? What are these? Every two years, these Call of Duty games? Yeah, November 4th, 2014. So you're looking at, holy crap. This is coming out two years later. Every two years, you have a Call of Duty game, not counting Black Ops. And this is where you're at. They're probably seeing, I I know the, the sales keep going down. But, you know, it's like the Madden franchise. I always said, you got to keep pumping these out, pumping these out. You know, let's not wait three years even for a, a new one. Every two years. What's, what's the next one going to be after that? Fighting aliens? You're going to, like, make that next jump? Call of Duty? Uh, Galaxy Warfare? Is that the... Or no, it, well, actually, yeah. After uh, Infinite? What's after Infinite? Yeah, you can't even go to the Galaxy. Infinite's like everything. Why, the, why do they call it infinite warfare? They should have just call it like subspace warfare. You know? <laughs> you sort of boxed yourself in here. Infinity Warfare Ward. That's going to bother me. I've already flubbed it like eight times and I still don't know what's going on. Man. It'll sell a ton, but so far I guess people just want to go back to, you know, just grounded warfare. Like, what's happening now? Or, or maybe, you know, what how, What if you went, not even World War II, go back to there. Can you go like, I don't know, uh, Call of Duty, Revolutionary War, 
Call of Duty, Civil War. Is there an interest in that? Call of Duty, Peloponnesian War, going back thousands of years, you know, the Greeks fighting and stuff. Call of Duty, Roman Warfare. I'd be on board with that. Then again, you have like games like Rome Total War, but you know what I'm saying. Just like switch it up. The melee weapons or bows and arrows, you know, Call of Duty, uh, I don't know, Shogun or something. You know, you're in feudal Japan. I, there's there's got to be something else out there. I know people love their guns and their sniping and stuff. There's got to be somewhere else they can go without feeling the need to shoot it into space <laughs> and go not just advanced warfare, warfare we won't probably see in all of our lifetimes unless, you know, that eugenic stuff works out, and, you know, or excuse me, eugenics, and you take these pills and you live forever and then become depressed like Connor McCloud and live to be, you know, 500 years old before you're put into a really bad sequel with a TV star and piss Pat off. What? Okay, we're done with this topic. Good old stadium events. Can I do one podcast without talking about stadium events on the NES? Could I finally do that? That'd be great. That'd be fantastic. But you know what? It's sort of the game that galvanizes the retro game community and, of course, the collecting community, the retro game collectors, and, of course, elitists that are out there. On some of my favorite websites. <laughs> Which you know what they are. So this came uh, on Reddit. This was a Redditor. The Redditor. Found. Not just. Uh, well it was an estate sale. It was an estate sale. And it was outside of Cleveland Ohio. It was advertised. And there was a. According to this Redditor. There was a bunch. And I mean a bunch of games downstairs in the basement for sale in boxes. So we're talking the original owner either moved or died. That's not revealed at this point. So they purchased it. And then the Redditor's name is Twiggles MG. Good old Twiggles. So what you have, purchase a box of NES games. And it looks like some Coleco and Adam, Coleco Adam games too. You got some games like Baseball Stars, John Elway's Quarterback, Jaws, Gauntlet, Adventure, Island, Xevious, uh, Jackal, four and a half star game according to a certain NES guidebook, uh, Kari Warriors, and then like, then you, yeah, you have a Clickle Adam game like uh, uh, Cabbage Patch Kids, then it looks like there's some Intellivision games, Astro Smash that are absolutely worthless. Space Invaders for the, for the 2600. Some loose cartridges, uh, like Dragon Power, Donkey Kong Classics, Balloon Fight, uh, looks like Burger Time, and then it, Defender 2, and then a Donkey Kong Jr. Math, but of course, sitting there is a pretty good condition, very good condition, complete in box, complete in box stadium events. With the manual, and the insert poster, which you can find in other early uh, Bandai games. Like Athletic World, and also uh, like Chubby Cherub and Ninja Kid. I'm not sure it's the exact same one, but it's a poster. So obviously, it's a big, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to uh, go to an estate sale, find these games, and pay like five bucks each for them, from what it sounds like, and then one of them is worth you know five figures. So what do you do out there to get a stadium events that's worth five figures? Do you keep it if you're a collector? Do you sell it? Well, I don't know that's the question. By the way, his toes are in one of the pictures, which I think is funny. He took a picture in his in his big old foots right there. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so uh, I know with the whole Tim Atwood stuff recently, and I'll get into another topic in a second. 
that same events are seems they're popping up all over the place. Apparently, there's a lot more out there than than people think. And this is important to know the, the sort of the psychological value of this find, besides and and other ones popping up recently, is that it lets people know that these are out there. There's not just like twelve of them. There's not just twenty. There's a lot more of these uh, cart and uh, box and or sealed ones combined. And and of course, dreams can come true. It could happen to you if you're young at heart. Well, it's not really being young at heart. It's just getting out to an estate auction or estate sale. Estate sales are all the all they're all the rage. They're coming up more and more with people that I've been talking to going out to them. I've always said they're great, but I don't have time or the energy to go out to them early. So we'll see if it comes up for for sale, either privately or on uh, eBay, and we'll see what it goes for. I think I'm not sure what the last complete box went for. I don't know if it was twenty grand. Uh, I don't know if it was ten grand. Who knows? But it's just one more out there now. That now the loose card only loose card only uh, prices have gone down. They've sort of ballooned up to ten grand. They came back down to six or seven. And uh, you know, it, it's always there's always like these mini bubbles that pop up like that for games this rare until people realize that, hey, there's more out there. There's more out there. You should be patient. You just can't be dumb. Uh, you know, but uh, we'll see what happens with this one. Yeah, like five bucks a game and probably bought like 40 games. And yeah, I guess I guess if you're in that situation, you don't want to you don't want to just pick out the one game and start shaking and be like, oh, I just want this one because maybe they might take it away from you and be like, oh, we might look this one up. So you might want to take the whole box, even games you don't want, like in this picture, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how many people out there want to, you know, uh, uh, you know, what is that? Is that Star Voyager? What is that? Uh, you know, do you really want to buy a, a Lee Trevino's Fighting Golf for five bucks each, or or Karate Champ or Breakthrough? Probably not. But you know, what? you bite that bullet because you got a game worth five figures in there uh, that you should get as as well. You can not worry about that double dribble costing you five bucks. Take them all. Spend five hundred dollars. Take all the games you see as long as you got that. Not one that's valuable. But there, some people would have a dilemma, moral dilemma, being like, oh, well, it's worth so much. Maybe I should give more back. Or, you know, it's up to you. I always maintain that people have the opportunity to price the games uh, on their own, especially when it's an estate sale. You hire people usually to do that for you, whether it's jewelry, antiques. And if they pass it up, they don't, if they miss it, they miss it. Sorry. Collector's going to get it or someone else is going to get it. And, well, hopefully they don't flip it. But, hey, I'm not going to tell them what to do with their game. So, speaking of Steam events, wow, two Steam events topics. Oh, man, I could probably put it into one topic, but no, it's going to be a separate topic. Maybe. Who knows? But three, count them, three Steam events are up for auction right now on eBay. That's important to me. <laughs> That's actually lovely to me. Oh, there's also a fake one from China you can get for $59 by now. So you've been, you've been listening to the podcast the past month or so about my buddy Tim Atwood, my pal Tim Atwood, who I owe a sandwich to, who has had 18 sealed stadium events, sealed, has sold 12 of them, and has six more that he may or may not sell. And so people are freaking out all over the place. And I guess <laughs> because of either uh, all the publicity in the retro collecting world for amongst NES collectors because of that or and or because they're scared of the sealed games devaluing also the card only 
three people at the same time decided to put up their games. The first one from the U.S. And it's uh, at 11500 or best offer from Toledo, Ohio. Second one is from Ramona, California. And that's at uh, 12000 or best offer. And then third is oh Canada. It's fifteen grand or best offer from British Columbia. So here you have it. People getting a little bit tight. A little bit a uh, little bit tight with their same events, the ones that they own. This just goes to show you, obviously if you buy a game, there's a, there's nothing saying you gotta you gotta hold on to it forever. I understand that. But when three of a of a of an extremely rare game comes up for auction at the same time. Three of them. That tells you who the people are buying it. Not just collectors, speculators. They're speculating. Speculating. They're speckins. Speckins? Peckins? They're speculating. Their chance to offload this. And like I said, this game selling for six, seven thousand I've seen recently over the past six, seven months. I haven't seen a cart go for twelve thousand by itself recently let alone 15 or best offer. So they're not going to sell. They're not going to sell for this much, obviously. They're just there to hopefully get interest and people will plunk the money down for it, but I don't see it happening. I just don't. But let me take this opportunity just to... Well, because I missed it from the last topic. To just... Now, I'm not sure if these games came from these locations where they're being listed from. From California or uh, British Columbia. They could. Maybe someone... You know, it could be a coincidence where someone bought it way back when, saw my coverage of Tim Atwood and the stadium events and the, you know, almost two dozen stadium events that he owned and said, I'm going to put these up. I doubt it. But what's good about what's good about all these games coming up in various locations, like the one from the estate sale in outside of Cleveland, Ohio, is it further dispels the really stupid myths perpetuated about stadium events. That one... You know, it was a Woolworth exclusive game test marketed in New York and that they only sold 200 of them, which are just totally just facts that came out of people's asses that were perpetuated on Wikipedia and on forums and on, you know, Reddit threads that are are totally ridiculous. And I'll tell you why. There would be no reason to test market a game like this. First of all, it's not even a Nintendo game. It's Bandai. It's Bandai. So I'm not sure why Bandai would need a test market or anything. They, don't, they want to put a game out like they put out Athletic World the same time and before that they put out Chubby Cherub and Ninja Kid. Put them out. There's no, there's no reason to test market them. Just put it out. See how it sells. You got your Family Fun Fitness Pad out, which same events they use for. No one ever says well, they test marketed the Family Fun Fitness Pad because that would make sense at least. Because that's... How do you test market a game called Stadium Events when... There's a peripheral that, that it didn't come with that was sold separately. You see how these stupid sort of uh, rumors that you can just debunk in a second they get perpetuated and, and spread around? They don't make any sense at all. Never mind the fact that why would Nintendo choose Woolworths of, of, of all locations and why just New York? Because they test marketed the NES in, in the New York area originally. All right, I can see you go that far. But these have popped up all over the U.S. And not just with Woolworth stickers on them. They popped up in, I believe, what was it, South Carolina? 
or North Carolina. One of the Carolinas, they've been found in California, complete in box. Um, the one that was on Yahoo Auctions in 2011, that was not from New York. And now you have the one from the estate sale in Ohio, which was an original copy, obviously. And there's been others. There's been others. And the 200 is... If they only sold 200 of them... First of all, where do you get that number from? There's no sales data for any NES game, which is why it's hard to track this, nor how many they actually produced. Say they produced 1,000 of them, which sounds more reasonable, and sold those. I think that would be a good sort of starting starting place. Maybe 1,800, and you go from there. And how many remaining are from those 800? I don't know. A quarter? But to say they only sold 200 of them, that to me is insane. That to me, that's based on absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. That's like saying that because of that, then there has to be only, there have to be weight, well, there have to be at least 200 uh, Family Fun Fitness pads sold, you'd think. Right, maybe, maybe, maybe there's really not that many uh, Family Fun Fitness pads. Maybe those should be worth more money. But also, people forget that same events was in the, um, I wish I had one near me. The, the Nintendo's Player's Guide, you know the one that came out in uh, late 87? The black one. They include it with some of their systems. Steam Events is listed as a game in there. It's a game in there. I don't think a test-marketed game would be listed in that. Plus, it was in two issues. Two uh, issues advertised. Little little advertisements in the back of the uh, Nintendo Fun Club magazine. So all those things combined lead you to know that whatever you hear on the internet about Steam Events is all... Really dumb conjecture based on absolutely nothing, but not just hearsay, just bad deductions that you can dispel in like 14 seconds, which I just did. Well, it was more than 14 seconds. It was like seven minutes. What am I going to do? I love talking about statement events because it encompasses both the good and bad of the hobby at the same time about trying to seek out, you know, quote unquote, a grail. If you want to say that, a holy grail of collecting but also, it brings out people's greediness, the speculators, as you see with three being on eBay at the same time. And it shows the bad side of a shitty game that is only valued, again, because it's rare, no historical significance, and plus, it's a game that already exists that I wish I could reach, but I can't. <laughs> I can't reach it. Of world-class track meet that was rebranded when Nintendo bought the rights to the Family Fun Fitness Pad. wonder why they didn't buy the rights to Athletic World. Never thought about that. They let that one slide. And remember, Athletic World was the packing game to Family Fun to the Family Fun Fitness Pad originally. The more you know, right, people? Do you really care about stadium events? Every podcast I'll talk about stadium events. Every podcast, and you're gonna have to like it or not. I don't know. So Sony is not sure <laughs> there's going to be a PlayStation Five. Are you shocked? Are you shocked? I mean, you already know that. The 4.5, the Neo, is going to be coming out. We already know that. Talked about it in the last podcast with my pal Ian, who, by the way, don't panic. He's on vacation. Vacation. He'll be back in the future with Pat. I know I'm bad by myself. <laughs> um, but in an interview, this is according to Tech Radar, there was a Game, Inform- Game Informer video podcast, and Lauren Lanning, uh, the mind behind Oddworld, revealed that a senior executive at Sony indicated that PlayStation 5 was a question of if rather than when. And the executive was Shuhei Yoshida, uh, head of Sony's Worldwide Studios. 
who indicated that the future of the PlayStation, which is what we said in the podcast last time with the announcement of Neo, would not be these huge, you know, upgrades every five or six years, like between the PS2 to PS3 to PS4, but these smaller ones every, you know, two and a half, three years to push you along, like basically upgrading a computer, like, like we talked about, how like you'll be able to, you'll be fine with your PS4, you don't have to get the Neo, but that Neo is going to have the shinier graphics and the better frame rate and maybe a free hand job. No, not that. Not that, not, a, not a handy. So this makes sense for a couple of reasons to do this. If you're Sony, the R&D to put into a new system every, you know, every four years, you basically probably have to work on it. These things are, are developed for a couple of years. is absolutely massive, the R&D. Absolutely massive. So these little smaller systems... You don't have to, like, reinvent the wheel each time. You can start with basically the same console shell and a lot of the same parts and just swap out, you know, parts here and there. Oh, better RAM this 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 year. Or slightly overclocked CPU. Better GPU that, you know. You don't have to redo the entire architecture. That's going to be set going forward. Well, which makes sense because these are freaking computers. We were talking about everything's a computer now. Everything's a computer or like a droid droid device. Basically, like people are saying that the you know, the NX is basically going to be like a, like having a, a giant droid console, you know that runs. But it's computer stuff at this point. Everything's a computer. You know, the Xbox One is a computer. Uh, the PS4 is a computer. PS4.5 is going to be a slightly better computer uh, than what you had before. The only question though is what if uh, Microsoft will, will follow suit, and I say yeah, because again. Remember that when you when these consoles come out originally, they lose money. PlayStation consoles lose money. The Microsoft ones lose money. So by doing this, you can charge still a hefty amount. You know, the PS4.5 is probably going to still cost $350 or $300. And all those parts are four years old by the time it comes out. So the R&D is done. They're already massively produced. There's, there's so much cheaper to put into that new console. And then you can just pop, then you can just like throw it out. We'll throw in a you know, you know a, a chip that's slightly faster. It doesn't really cost as much that much anyway. And we'll just charge a hundred bucks more than the last system. And we're making like eighty bucks more per console, pro, you know, pure profit or whatever it's going to be. So it just makes sense to do that. Makes a lot of sense. And I'm not wistful about it. I, I, I've been saying for at least three, four years that this is the last console. It's going to be the last console generation because of that. Like I said, they're glorified computers. You know. And plus, people forget about game streaming. Always forget about streaming. Like more and more uh, functions in the future with computers and with software that the computation and CPU power is going to be done off your computer and just online somewhere in the cloud. I don't know how it works. I'm not sure the science behind it. Well, but <laughs> that makes sense. So 10 years from now, your PS4 or PS4.79 and Xbox 1.4 might just be like sort of streaming stations to some degree, doing some processing on the hardware, but most of it will be done somewhere else on the interwebs. I'm down. Why not? Whatever keeps the cost down, that's fine. <laughs> so when it's all said and done, it's funny to me just because people always said, oh, Nintendo's going to be dead and gone, no more consoles. They're going to be the only one left standing after all this is said and done. Because they're the only one, remember, that has... The, the the most potent first party titles, and they're never going to be a software only company. Just stop it. That would be their death knell. A- ask Sega about that. Jeez, well there was mismanagement there too, but you know, 
Nintendo's going to be making consoles forever because that's what their their game is. So, all right, well, well it'll be interesting to see how the Neo does. But I, but I think it's going to do better than you think, especially when if you haven't bought a PS4 yet. Like if, I, like if I haven't bought one yet and I want one, I might as well buy the Neo uh, version instead of the older one for like 100 bucks more. And that's what they're counting on, idiots like me. It's interesting little device being made by our our pals at Analog. Our pals. We brought up Analog before. You remember the Analog NT? The Famicom with four-player ports. They took the guts out of Famicom, make, made it basically an anodized aluminum NES with uh, HDMI out. I remember that guy. It's Famicom and an NES in one. I remember more recently, the 24-karat gold NT. That sold out. They sold all 10 of them. Well, holy shit. I was, I was, more, I was right. Well, at least I was closer than Ian was about how many would sell. I said about seven. He, he said less, I think. They sold their 10 analog NT 24-carat gold-plated, remember, not solid gold, for $5,000 with probably a markup of about 4500 So good on you, analog NT. You just made uh, $45,000 extra profit on those. <laughs> I'm not going to you know, deny your capitalism ways, capitalistic ways. But this is a cool device coming out. You know, they should be sponsoring me, but you know, I actually think this is cool. It's called the Retro uh, Receiver. For your NES, it's a wireless receiver. It looks like a it looks like it looks like someone cut off a plug from an NES controller, and you plug that in to your uh, your NES, and you now have a Bluetooth receiver for your NES, and it works uh, with any original NES model or any any aftermarket system. And it, they partner with Eight uh, Bit Zoo. 8-Bit Do are the ones that are actually looks like they're making it. And you know what? I will probably buy this at some point. It's $19.99 and it allows you to use any wireless controllers that are Bluetooth supported. Or you can also, wow, you can also use it on Windows or Mac OS. Looks like there's a little mini USB on here too. Woo, Okay. I am down. Yeah. All right. It has a built-in CPU and a flash memory chip with upgradable firmware. Multiplayer capability for two to four players. Okay. That takes care of a lot of cool issues like there. Like you can use this then instead of a four score or actually any satellite, which is wireless. And, oh, you can use a PS4, PS3, Wii Remote, Wii U Pro, or all of the other controllers put out by uh, this 8-BitDo company, which I'm not too familiar with at the current time. So, yeah. It's a great idea. I mean, we, we've Bluetooth is almost like the catch-all sort of response to wireless at this point, where it's cross-compatible. And uh, the, the fact that this is two to four players is really great. No wires! Then, of course, you need four wireless controllers. Like, in the picture here, there's like this, uh, it must be an 8-bit Duke uh, controller where it looks like an NES controller, but it's wireless, and there's four buttons, uh, a Y and an X, looks like maybe for turbo functions on a cool little cross thing, and there's a B and A. Uh, so, yeah, I would pick this up. If I can use this on a computer, too, on an emul- emulator, uh, yeah, fantastic. 
Use that big old Wii U controller. We oh you we should Wii U Pro controller. Well, those are fine. Those are always good. Those those Pro controllers. Use it on your uh, your emulators on your computer. Be a it's like a USB. Is that a USB? Yeah. Are they calling it a USB? X input. Oh, that's Mac OS. But it supports Windows. Yeah. Screw it. It is a USB. It's a USB. Damn it! I said it four times in a row. System compatibility. Oh yeah, all original NES, analog NT, all systems with all systems with an NES style controller port. PS3, PS4, Wiimote, Wii U Pro. Uh, oh, uh, the the 8-bit do controllers and arcade sticks. Additional buttons mapped to turgo tur, to turbo turgo turbo on all controllers. Compatible with, compatible with two four two to four retro receivers for multiplayer games. There you go, Bluetooth. It's directly, it's, and it's directly powered uh, from the NES controller port. People forget that the controller port actually had power to it, which is why, you know, the uh, the NES four score actually could work. <laughs> you know, there wasn't any batteries you needed for that one, and the satellite you needed for it, but that was for the actual, uh, uh, not for the, the the wireless receiver, but for the, the the satellite, the actual separate portion. There you go. Check it out. I just sold you seven. I just sold seven of these for you, analog and 8-bit do. It's at uh, playasia.com. I think it's interesting. And I think uh, for 20 bucks, you know, nice reasonable price for something like this. And it could be the last could be the last retro receiver, Bluetooth receiver, you ever need. What am I doing, a freaking infomercial, like for, for blenders? It'll be the last blender you ever need. Well, I'm an idiot. This next topic is... Uh, it's interesting, but also a reminder. This is going to be like my be like my public service announcement for this Pat Solo podcast, Solo Solo See You podcast. So, this came to me from uh, my my favorite website. It's, it's my favorite. It's uh, Nintendo Age. You know it. You know it. You love it. You love it. You love Nintendo Age. So there was an estate sale recently in uh, Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. And who cares in a state sale? Well, the reason I bring it up is because it was a vintage video game estate sale, basically. That was a big part of it. So, you have a video game collector that passes away. Who knows how old. Hopefully they lived a fulfilling life. Hopefully they were in their 70s, 80s, 90s. Doubt it, though. They're probably in their 50s, 40s. Maybe, was it, maybe they had cancer. I don't know. I'm just going to speculate because, you know, I, I think a large chunk of video game collectors are younger. When I say younger, I say under 50 versus over. Once you go over 50, it's more like uh, Atari and television. But I'm generalizing, of course, because I know NES collectors that are big collectors that are over 50. Uh, but this could have been a, a seller as well, and it looks like it was, because if you look at if you look at this estate sale, it was they were a collector, but they also were a seller, a reseller. There's a, there's a picture here where, wow, Jesus. Well, first of all, there's a there's a Tupperware that says eBay on it, which I think is funny. But then there's, there's like those shells you usually see in garages, those metal shells you put together, you know, metal poles and then the cross shells, where you can see, okay, there's like one ColecoVision in the box, but then there's like, wow, there's like four, excuse me, yeah, four NES action sets. Then there's like five, looks like five boxed, at least five boxed, maybe more, Super Nintendos. Then there's literally... Eight N64s in the box? Yeah, this was a seller, not just a collector. Uh, lots of stuff. 
lots of stuff here. And there's an Odyssey. It's like 100 or 200 uh, Pong set in there. Another another uh, another picture. It's kind of a sad picture. There's like five to six loose, probably in various states of rep- uh, disarray or need of repair. Uh, super scopes for the Super Nintendo. Uh, and another picture shows just a massive uh, collection. A lot of games in Tupperwares. So it looks like this person might have been a seller, but also a collector. I don't know, though. Maybe they were just a collector. But let's assume they also were a seller. Let's just assume that and go from there. Because it's a little bit different. Um, and, oh, and plus, because the Nintendo Age, it says it was from a personal collection. So I think they probably did both. They probably sold on the side. Because why do you need five loose uh, super scopes? But from the one picture, okay, that was probably their collection. There's a lot of stuff on wooden shelves. Everyone dies. Death is the one thing we have not figured out. We might in the future. They're trying to sort of figure out how to... I mean, they sort of uh, singled out the uh, the gene that kind of controls aging and basically turns off the cell's function of of being able to like reproduce themselves in the body. Because that's basically, basically how, how we stay young is that the cells reproduce more quickly than they die and, and deteriorate. Uh, when you get older, they don't... They don't replenish as as quickly. I just really, I'm an awful person for trying to explain science to everyone, and and the human body. I'm sure someone in the comments can can at least uh, elucidate a little bit more. Maybe it has like a biology degree, but I, but I just simplified it. So yeah, we're gonna die. We don't know when it's gonna happen, but it's gonna happen unless one of you out there is an immortal and carries around a katana blade and cuts off people's heads and gains their power. But I doubt that. You know that'd be really cool. I wish I was one of those. So, when you go, you cannot bring stuff with you. This stuff will not go with me into the the netherworld, or the afterlife, or wherever you think you're going to go, or the black void if you don't believe in an afterlife. I like to, I'd like to think, personally, not to start in the comment section, people railing back and forth, I'd like to think that our energy gets dispersed somewhere, and there's you know very, very slight evidence, slight evidence. Well, there is that we have some sort of energy in our body, we do. Um, maybe that goes somewhere into the universe and maybe we're conscious of it. Maybe we're not, but whatever. Whole point is the games ain't coming with your spirit wherever that you go, wherever spark of energy goes into the star stars out there returns where we came from. It's not going with you. So as you get older and I'm approaching that now as I'm rocketing towards middle age, you know, I look so much younger. Thanks to my mom. Uh, decide when you get older or, when your life changes, whether you're getting married, having kids, you're going to move, or you just get to that point, that breaking point where you want to sort of pare down stuff. You're going to have to decide at some point what you want to do with your stuff. Not just video game stuff. If you have comic books, if you have a lot of, you know, AV equipment, maybe you're a big guy into like uh, collecting records, comic books, toys, what have you, is that at some point, your material items, either you're going to have to get rid of them, or, or someone will get rid of them for you when you're dead. Or in a coma, or dying of some disease. Hate to say it. Or you have to move right away because you owe child support and you're running away across the country because of it. No, it's not me. But either way, the stuff's going to have to go at some point to someone else. Either someone else who's a big collector, or the next generation. If there's going to be a next generation of video game collectors. So yeah, that's that's something I think about. But it's something you should think about too. It's actually something you should plan for. I'm not saying you got to go out and, and make a living will tomorrow about what happens when I die, what happens to these games. 
But just plan plan your life a little bit. I'm not saying you haven't, but if but just if you haven't, think about if I move, if something catastrophic happens, if I have to go say move across the country or move somewhere and take care of my parents because something bad happens, God forbid, or or my wife gets sick or my husband gets sick, uh, what do I do with all this stuff? What do I do with these hundreds and hundreds of pounds of material goods that might be worth money or someone else can enjoy or play? What do I do with that? And just think about that. Plan ahead. Or think, as Ian always tries to encourage me, maybe you get rid of it now. Maybe you start to think, well, maybe I really don't need to collect for seven different game systems. Maybe I'll just keep one system and forget about the rest. That's always an option, too. And there are, there are other things in life than video game collecting, than video games. We know that. But it always comes down to what is the importance you place on it right now. Video games could be more important to you right now than maybe taking a good vacation a couple of times a year, a few times a year, if, you're, if your money's tight. Maybe you can't afford that better car you'd like, or maybe you can't move out into a nicer apartment or get that mortgage because you're collecting video games. So, of course, these are all uh, questions you have to ask yourself, hard questions. Now, I'm not saying there's a right answer. It depends upon your situation. If you really get a lot of enjoyment out of collecting video games, then so be it. But I'll just sort of preface that by saying, that you should also think about what else is in your life. And 20 years down the line, will this be something you regret? Will you regret having thousands of games and not being able to move into a better place? Or, you know, being able to go on those vacations or maybe being able, being able to buy your girlfriend or spouse something they really want to provide for. Maybe maybe your kid, uh, putting your kid into a better uh better school maybe there's a charter school or a private school around or a catholic school or whatever maybe that's better than your public school maybe it's average i'm just i'm just putting it out there I'm not saying this is you i'm just saying maybe you have that conversation with yourself every now and then before you go off in the deep end now of course if you can't afford it if you're if you're living check to check or you're barely paying your your, your mortgage or rent then yes you should really pare down your collection and really have a budget and think about what you're doing uh, with your expendable income, because at that point it, it ain't expendable. At that point, you can't. Aff- it's like I always say, like gambling: only spend what you can't, only spend what you could afford to lose, not what you can't. When it comes to any hobby, that's a smart way to go, I think. So, so I'm not saying <laughs> doom and gloom on retro game collecting or any video game collecting, but I'm just saying it, it wouldn't hurt to have these sort of conversations with yourself every now and then. And then maybe, maybe it stays the same. Maybe, you know, you keep the same amount of games, or, or maybe you buy less in the future because you put aside. Maybe, maybe, you, maybe you budget 180, 200 bucks a month towards retro games. I'm just spitballing an amount. Maybe instead of that, you invest in something else, or you treat yourself and, and your 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 spouse to a nice dinner out or a nice date, or you you save that money for five months and go on a vacation somewhere and have a great life experience. Uh, you go around the world. You know, at some point, or just I don't know. You you go to the Grand Canyon if you can't afford to to go to I don't know, like I don't know, Ireland or Thailand or Japan or someplace nice or Italy. I want, I want to go to Italy this year. Hopefully, I can make it happen if I have time. That's a whole other issue. Time. Not to reference to my Action Figure Two review. Four people out there got that. So yeah, I don't want to depress anyone out there, but we're gonna die, and we can't take this stuff with us, unfortunately. So, 
get that living wheel going right now. And I know people in the comments are going to be asking me to put you guys in my living wheel. But I'll probably leave it all to Frank, and you can go over to Frank's house and have a field day. <laughs> I'll just throw the games all out and say, you know, you have to wrestle each other for it. Whoever wrestles uh, and pins each other in a tournament will win, will win the NWC gold or something. I don't know. It's interesting that an NWC cart came out on eBay. I, th- I, I think it's interesting at least. <clears throat> because they usually don't come out for sale, let alone in a well open auction like this one did. And it was real, and it was pulled, unfortunately. So it was taken down. There was like five hours left, and it was up to eleven grand. Uh, and the person who r- was running the auction had like ninety-eight percent positive feedback, or uh, over six thousand transactions on eBay. So it's really strange that it was taken down. Really strange. It was a game store called We Got Game that I think it was traded into, according to the thread here. Um, and this was a new copy and again it's it's not a it's not just a shame because an open auction is your best chance to see what a game's true value is worth I know there's there's bad stuff like shill bidding and things like that or people quote unquote protecting the value but it really is a nice opportunity to see what this would have went for because I think the last couple ones went for like 15 grand uh, or 16 something like that like the Howard Phillips copy went for like 16 or 17 even though that included a lot of his old uh, papers and, and some sort of NWC uh, memor- memorabilia. Uh, and plus, it, yeah, and plus it can hopefully put people, some of those elite collectors in this place, like, oh, I'm not getting written mine for less than 45000 You know, it gives you people a chance to buy one. People should always have a chance to buy something they want, whatever they want. Even though if some, people, some people may think it's ridiculous to spend that much money on a game, I don't care. If you have the money, if you can spend it, Spend it if you really want it. Yeah. So. Not much really much more to say about this. <laughs> Other than, uh, yeah, we'll see what comes back up for auction. And uh, hopefully eBay doesn't pull it down. Maybe, maybe it was one of those one of those issues where the person had a, had a sort of a limit on the, the amount of money they could sell because of their account or something. I don't know. It's just strange. What I choose chooses as a topic, I don't know. Ian would be slapping me right now for having it as a topic. We have a scumbag seller of the week, and our scumbag seller of the week. We haven't done one in a while. It's one of our favorite types of scumbag sellers of the week, selling good old replacement labels that. Do not say replacement or reproduction or nothing anywhere. And using the same exact artwork. This one is Berna Mayar. Burn, B-E-R-N, like feel the burn. Uh, May, M-A-Y-R. Tons of feedback. And they're selling... Oh, they're from San Diego, too. They're selling lots of these. <laughs> I might see this person at some point. They're selling lots of uh, replacement labels in my backyard. And they shouldn't do that. They really shouldn't. You know why? Because now I get emails every other day asking, Hey, Pat, I just bought this game. Do you think it's fake or not? Hey, Pat, this looks fishy. This auction, do you think it is? I didn't get these emails three, four years ago. I'm getting them all the time now. You know why? Because someone thinks it's okay to sell copyrighted artwork, basically. Because you know what? 
I'm going to sell 200 freaking uh, Earthbound replacement labels. Where do you think those are going to? Not all to people that say, oh, well, my label's trashed. Oh, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. They're going overseas to people, you know, uh, selling games that are fake. They're going uh, to people uh, slapping them on to Madden 94 and trading them into GameStop because GameStop aren't going to check them right away. And And they get into the system and go out to people that are getting it screwed. This is this turns out always for people getting screwed in the end. And it's a shame. And this isn't I can this isn't people doing this for cheap games. It's like okay, Worms Armageddon N sixty four, Chrono Trigger, uh Super Nintendo, uh Super Metroid. You know freaking uh Bonk's Adventure on the NES. How many people have a Bonk's Adventure on the NES that their labels that shredded that they needed a replacement label? Really? Really? Final Fight Guy, Super Nintendo, Aero Fighters? For God's sake. Dracula X. Mega Man X3. 92 sold. 92 sold. It's depressing. And plus... Well, plus. Plus, it's all built in how, how crappy this is. Snow Brothers NES. Oh my God! Oh wow! eBay doesn't care though. eBay's making bank. Whether it's whether it's games that are repros. Oh, rare repro! I remember I saw a Zombie Nation a few weeks back. And it's like, oh, I bought this and bought this at a flea market, but people are telling me it could be fake. Yeah, it could be fake because it's a bad label. And I see the that it's not even on straight. And you can see the bad glue marks. You know where it should be like trying to shift it around. I mean, it's terrible. It's atrocious. But yeah, really, I'm bitching about it because yeah, people keep asking if this is fake or not. So yeah, you're you're at the point. You're at that point. Ian always says it. A game comes in that's worth like 100 bucks or more. If you're going to buy it, you better open that puppy up. Because even putting it in the an NES or Super Nintendo and playing it and seeing if, it's that, if that's the game, that's not even good enough anymore. Sorry. You're ruining it for us. Extra step. Get out your bit driver. It costs you four bucks on eBay, four fifty, and open it up. Make sure you don't lose those screws either. And make sure the board is real and compare it to one online. So that's my answer to any email I get. <laughs> don't email me. Don't email me if it, if it looks fake. If you think it's fishy, don't buy it. First of all, if it's in person, you got to check it. You got to check it. Otherwise, look really closely at that label and squint and make sure the colors are right. Compare another photo of a real one. Look for any pixelization or anything that looks off. That's the best I can say. So, uh, Burn uh, May R. Maybe I'll see you at a local flea market or maybe I'll hang out with Frank. You think you're doing something cool for people. You're making money illegally. And eBay doesn't care. We talked about it last time on the podcast about the, the Nostalrius server. Nostalrius which was a quote-unquote vanilla server, which means it ran uh, like an original World of Warcraft game before all the updates and patches and everything else, uh, you know, add-ons. And then uh, it was 150,000 people that used it. It was very popular. And Blizzard said, no, 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 We don't like that. You're outside of our system. We don't like these retro servers. So... 
they had a big going away party, which actually I saw that the last like twenty seconds where everyone was gathered was fireworks and people were were you know all gathered with their characters. It's actually pretty sad because that's a community. Remember, these are communities. These servers they're not just uh, they're not just you know place to play games. You, you make friends, you hang out, you interact, you talk to people, not just typing. You talk in you know World of Warcraft, you know. So. The people that ran the Nostalrius, which is uh, in France, I believe, fan-run server, and Blizzard shut it down in April. Uh, since that's happened, uh, Blizzard has told fans that they, they're they thinking about running their own quote-unquote pristine servers without all the tweaks and add-ons that they've done over the years. But who knows? But um, supposedly, according to the, the Nostalrius operators, that they're uh, starting to chat with Blizzard about maybe some sort of collab here about getting those servers back up and running, and maybe just to have it do, do it officially, because because uh, WoW was like what twelve years old, not as many people are playing it as they used to. That's a really long time for a subscription based game, and obviously it's still big. But if you do like a you know a, an old school server, that might not only have goodwill towards those fans, it might keep people paying to play your game. Maybe they don't like the the four upgrade packs. Maybe they wanted how it originally was, how they remembered it when they first played it back in, like, whatever, 2004 or five. So if they're paying Blizzard, what's the problem? Everyone wins. Give them the option. Work with the Nostalrius people to keep it open and just make sure the revenue comes in. You know, give some to those folks. But, Blizzard, you get paid. We've got 150,000 people that you just lost or lost potential customers that could be paying what is it ten bucks a month for that? That's a lot of money. That's not a that's not chump change. If they went away and got pissed at you, so keep it going. Why not? What what like really? What do you have to lose at that point? You're going to keep people happy. You might attract more people to that server, and then. Maybe you have this sort of retro, wow, throwback movement where people all play the, the original version or something. I don't know that much about this, but I, all I know is it's bad business to close servers that have 150,000 people on it. That's what I do know. And maybe Blizzard realized that. So. So the community manager, uh, J. Allen Brack, broke the silence on the closure of Nostalgia originally. You know, that was done with a cease and, cease and desist. Remember, it was like lawyer stuff. It wasn't just, hey, can you please do it? Like, no, nah, you're going to do it or else you're going to face the consequences. You know. Um, so, this was released from a person from Nostalgius named Damon. Uh, we were very, very excited to be able to help Blizzard understand that the part of their community asking for legacy servers and many other related topics, in the hope that they will eventually make it possible to legally play previous game expansions. And as part of their discussion with Blizzard, they are not going to release the game's source code and database. So they're trying to they're trying to make right here. And the Star Wars people are trying to play within the rules with Blizzard, but but hopefully Blizzard will play ball and provide, you know, every, a legacy server, a vanilla server, that everyone could have fun in. Why not? Get out your magic wands and your, your your wolf riders. Do you ride a wolf in WoW? I know you do in the Warcraft game. And have a ball at Nostalrius. That's all. 
start the party up again, have people pay their subscription fees, have some support, make it official, and everyone wins. Sort of like Miss Pac-Man. It was a hack at first, a Pac-Man, and it became official eventually. <laughs> and Namco's like, yeah, it's an official game. Well, it didn't start out that way. Yeah, just do that. Everyone's happy. Let's talk real quickly about um, the death of uh, Joni Lawler, uh, China, 46 years old. I won't get into the details too much about it, but yeah, you know, being a pro wrestler is a hard life. It's it ain't it ain't uh it's not easy, not at all. And uh, it's a shame because she she seemed like a really nice person. Everyone said she was uh really kind, liked to laugh. Uh, like Mark Henry in particular said that about her, and she sort of had a falling out. With w with WWE the past you know fifteen years I mean she was huge China remember she started out in DX she was an original member of with of DX with uh, Triple H Hunter Hearst Helmsley acted as as his bodyguard and they were dating in real life for uh, a few years which I'll get into in a second and Shawn Michaels and she was you know like a like a weightlifter like a bodybuilder female bodybuilder and she could throw down in the ring. And with the men. She was in uh, what Royal Rumble matches. She won the Intercontinental Intercontinental title. She finally won the, uh, the women's title before she left. And she was extremely popular. She's, I mean, she had... Uh, at first... Uh, it's funny how she morphed on her popularity, of course. You know, she eventually got facial plastic surgery. She got a boob job. Um... To have more sex appeal, be more mainstream, you know. So you appear, appeared in Playboy magazine, which is fine, nothing wrong with that. But still, it was always extremely popular. Um, she uh, had a a nice uh, relationship in the ring, you know, with with Eddie Guerrero, where she was Mamacita, and so they had this really interesting sort of relationship. I mean, they they fought in the ring comically a couple of times uh, with each other, and they called her the ninth wonder of the world. Uh, because Andre the Giant was the eighth wonder of the world, and she was, you know, she was just just as powerful as a lot as the, uh, as a lot of the male wrestlers, and uh, it wasn't a sort of like gaming where it was like, oh yeah, she couldn't stand toe to toe with some of those guys. She realistically looked like she could in the ring. So, so she had a falling out, and around I think it was like 2001, she leaves the WWE after like four four to five years, and famously or not. You know, she she broke up with Triple H, and Triple H started dating Stephanie McMahon, <laughs> daughter of the guy who owns the company, Vince. And because of that, you know, partially she felt like she was on the outs, and she left. And after that, it really didn't really wasn't that well for her afterwards. Um, sort of a downward spiral, unfortunately. Um, I think she went to TNA for a bit, um, and then of course, it really got bad. She did that one night in China amateur porn release. With Xbox, I think that was like 2006 off the top of my head. Something like that. Um, oh, she also wrestled in New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's right. Uh, but she, she seemed like someone that was always in pain. And she just wanted to be, you know, accepted or appreciated for what she was. And she was really special for like those four to five years while she was in WWE. And, uh, yeah, it was very... Uh, very, very, uh, I think, shameful for how the WWE treated her after she left. Obviously not putting her into the Hall of Fame. 
was was really a bad bad idea. And of course, uh, Triple H famously said on I think it was Austin Steve Austin's podcast last year that she deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, but he doesn't want to put her in the Hall of Fame because oh, I don't want my, my kids googling her and seeing the seeing her porn videos. And yeah, she she became a a porn star. Um, she was she was in a handful. Uh. See, she did a, an Avengers porn parody and a She-Hulk one, you know. And then she, I think she realized that was a bad idea, and she got out of it after that. And I think she went overseas, I believe, to teach. So, yeah, shame on WWE for not, really, I guess, supporting her more. I think I'm not saying that contributed to her death, but uh, yeah, um, I it, it's I'm just tired of seeing, um. All these wrestlers get... I mean, Randy Savage, they blew off for like 15 years, more than that, 20 years. All, all these wrestlers that really... Not that they need the monetary support necessarily, but just just like want to be recognized, not shunned. I mean, these are people you worked with. Especially, I think with China, was that much worse because, remember, it was her ex-boyfriend becomes, you know, the guy, Triple H, running the company. And you got to deal with that. And, and you're just persona non grata. I mean, they haven't mentioned her on TV before her death or you know video packages of her nothing you know then of course they show a video package a really nice one actually on Raw after she dies which you have to do that and she'll be put in the Hall of Fame within a year or two but again it's posthumously and you know maybe maybe I'm not saying it would have saved her life but just maybe would have helped out her out a little bit you maybe put her in the Hall of Fame like five years ago six seven years ago you show her that support have her come out on Raw once a year or just have her do something with the company you know, or just have her around, just just so that she knows she's respected. That's it. I don't know. So I mean, it's a shame. What are you going to do, right? People are responsible for themselves, and uh, you know, Joni Lawler, China, uh, dead at forty-six. Shame. Second Warcraft trailer came out. <laughs> this movie is not going to do well. Not going to do well. I keep forgetting this is coming out. Keep forgetting. It's coming out on uh, June 10th. So it's like a month away. I don't know any buzz about this movie. Besides the fact that people are like, oh, the CG looks slightly better. It only slightly looks less like a, like a video game now. I think my issue with this Warcraft movie is that it's almost like they're taking for granted that a lot of people don't know what Warcraft is. And obviously, we're video gamers. We've heard of Warcraft. With WoW, it became huge, but it was known before that in the 90s with Warcraft 1 and 2, the groundbreaking real-time strategy games. Uh, but you, your movie isn't done any favors by this second trailer. And the first one was terrible. This, this trailer is cut like any other action trailer. You have your dumb little quips that are totally out of place. You have your little your little character moments where you give your little the little shoulder turn or a little wink. And it's not introduced well here. Like again, I I I, I told us when the, I brought this up when the teacher came out that there's too much going on in these trailers. There's like five different characters. You got an orc character that's going to side with the humans. You got a knight, you got some guy doing magic, you got the the half orc half uh woman character 
they're going to bank on the the Warcraft fans coming in. They're going to see it. But I don't know if the casual fans are going to see this. I just don't. In between all the superhero movies coming out, uh, Civil War, Captain America, the X-Men movie, I don't know. I think this one's going to sort of just come and go. I also don't think there's a lot of faith in this movie because they're, they're either trying to hide the bad acting or really kind of cheesiness. This is a this is your final trailer from the movie, and it comes out only, you know, uh, less than two months before. Usually, you want a full two and a half minute trailer, less than two months before. This is a minute forty four. This is a short ass trailer. It's actually shorter than that because you're not counting the first five seconds where it says Warcraft new trailer, which is like it's this weird thing on the internet now where a new trailer comes out, like a like a new it's like a Jason Bourne trailer, and before the trailer starts. You see him walk and like punch the guy that happens in the trailer. Like I'm, I, I don't want, I don't need a teaser to the trailer already cl- uh, clicked on. Like that's that's insane. You got me here. I'm already on the page. I'm gonna watch. Maybe that's for like Twitter or something, where like you're, you're scrolling through and you see it pop up and you see, oh well, I don't see a green screen. I see a part of the trailer I'm gonna see in five seconds anyway. I don't. know. It's just bizarre. And the only reason this movie's not gonna do well is because I hate to say it. There's no great actors that I can see in this. It, it seems like, uh, no disrespect to the, to the actors that, and actors that are on this, but it looks like a lot of these guys came from like your, uh, you know, summer theater, or were just in like TV movies, or you know, there's no one that I've ever heard of in this movie. And remember when Lord of the Rings came out, you had some, you had some stars in that. You had some guys that had done Ian Holm, Ian McClellan. Uh, Elijah Wood. You had you had some John Rice Davies. You had some stars, or at least actors that have been around the block for like 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, you had what's his name, Mister Smith, um, as well. Kate Blanchett. I'm actually I'm I'm missing probably four or five big. Viggo Mortensen was he wasn't very well known when Lord of the Rings came out, but he was a guy that he, he was a he was a veteran actor uh, at least. This this movie looks like it's like their first or second acting job. It looks like I hate to say it, that's what this appeal uh, appears to be to me. And you, it goes back to star power. It, it helps. It definitely helps. And here it looks like Legendary Pictures was like, yeah, we don't need them. We don't need them. We got a uh, video game uh, fans, and they're going to see this, even though uh, the CG looks uh, painfully mediocre, and the sets look like they're all green screen. So, and the wizard is like 20 years old. Come on, can we get some older characters in here? Whatever. What am I talking about this for? YouTube support is here. Oh my God. For YouTubers. Man. I don't want to say this is all thanks to uh, Great A Under A, my pal, with his Make YouTube Great Again campaign, but, but, that, it was seen. That that made an impact with the uh, what was it president of uh, YouTube saying hey we hear you loud and clear we have to look into this shit and that was a uh, a few months back and they're doing something to help out YouTubers because remember the bullshit content ID claims that were happening with companies that claim shit that they don't even claim which is insane and, and they don't get penalized for doing that screwing over YouTubers uh, false copyright stri- strikes DMCA uh, takedowns. That should never have happened at all. 
So, they're coming out with, I love this, a YouTube partner support team. Hey, I'm not saying I'm going to take credit for this. Obviously not. But I always said you need to start with like at least a 20-person team that could work with you, uh, YouTubers, support them in some way, real people to get in touch with. Because we talked about Doug Walker having a pretty big YouTube channel that could even get in like an email response from anyone when he had his issues months and months back about copyright uh, claims and strikes. And again, I'm not taking sides with anyone when it comes to these strikes or claims uh, overall. There could be some that, you know what, maybe it wasn't fair use. But at least now you have a, a way to work it out and talk to someone and get support. So they've announced it. That if you have at least 15,000 watch time hours in the past 90 days, you can get help directly from the support team. That makes sense. you got to filter out, I hate to say it, you have to filter out the smaller channels. Because, first of all, they can be bothering the support team over bullshit issues. But second of all, they're not, they don't have nearly as much to lose as someone with a channel where, where that's either their livelihood or something they do full-time where a strike can basically cost them a hell of a lot more than someone with a smaller channel. You got, but you got to start somewhere, and this is a good way to start. you got to have some sort of threshold. And 15,000 uh, watch time hours in the past 90 days, that's not, that's not a huge YouTuber. I have to check my stats. That's probably lower medium or medium, uh, I think. Probably even probably even lower, but lower medium, we'll just say. So they're going to have a uh, YouTube partner support team. There's a picture of 10 people here. Uh, so not the 20 I suggested, but 10's better than nothing. And they'll be available to you if you if you meet that criteria. And they're all around the world. It's not just, you know, so time zones won't matter as much. And they're going to be able to help you uh, optimize how you use YouTube. Maybe help you with SEO. Get tips on technical or service aspects. Learn to navigate policy and copyright guidelines. Ding, 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 ding. Yay! Something reasonable that we can ask for. It won't break the bank, Google. You can do this for us. You can hire 10, 20 people, like I suggested. Get answers on accounts, channel ma- management, and Google Plus questions. Troubleshoot and fix bugs or issues with your account. Resolve content ID and rights management issues. Ding, 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 ding. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. So, yeah, if you, if you, if you, if you want to see if you qualify, you got to go into your YouTube analytics, put on your estimated hours watch, and then put it for the last 90 days in your filter and see. So you can contact them. I think they're going to have a, a probably a phone number, but at least an email uh, to, to get in touch. And sign a real person. So that's the first good news with this program. That's the first good news. This is more important, or just as important. It's something that uh, has been talked about before as common sense. Why aren't you doing this, you know, uh, Google slash YouTube? So Google support came out with uh, something to say that. It used to be that any asshole could could uh, say, oh, I own this content. Could be blank noise, for God's sake. Or I own part of this song because I uploaded it into the content ID system and now I'm claiming this video. So what happened before was 
the moment that someone rightly or wrongly claimed a video, which means you are claiming part of that video's um, content because of the ID copyright, whether it's a, it could be music, it could be video, it could be a picture, it could be a trademark used. And that could be automatically flagged or even manually flagged. Well, what happened was all the revenue from that video at that point would go to that third party that claimed it, rightly or wrongly, until the dispute was worked out, which means you have all these content ID trolls and companies that could go out, see a big video, getting a million views, or on its way to getting, getting a million views, and basically steal their ad revenue until it's worked out. And if they don't, and if they're in the wrong and do it, they still have like 30 days. Because if I, uh, you know, if there's a counterclaim, it's like they have like 30 days through the whole process to respond unless it gets expedited. So they're like, yeah, so what? So what? So what? It gets dropped. I got the revenue for 30 days, which a lot of time in a video, that's the, the vast majority of revenue on a video is in the first 30 days. So that's a big, big gaping loophole that was getting uh, just abused by assholes out there. Just awful. But no more. No more because they're going to roll out, finally, the answer, which will be to put that revenue, any dispute that happens for content ID, put that that revenue at that point until the dispute is, is worked out into an escrow of, sol- of sorts that no one has. The original content creator doesn't have it, and the third party doing the claim doesn't have it. So the so the video will still make money, but that money will go into a an escrow of sorts until it's worked out. Then that and then at that point, whether the third party claim is correct, then the third party will get that revenue, or if it's not, it goes back to the original person. Right? That sounds great. Not sure why that wasn't done before. Maybe they figured it wouldn't be abused. The system when it came out. Uh, a couple of years ago when they sort of revamped the system with content ID. But that's important because I think that'll deter like probably 80 to 90% of the false claims right off the bat. Because if you realize it's a fool's uh, fool's error to try to get free money, it ain't going to happen anymore. Sorry. You ain't getting that money for a few weeks before the disputes drop because you realize you have a bullshit claim. It's not going to happen. So that makes me obviously very, 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 very happy. And it doesn't even happen to me that often. It doesn't. But I've seen it happen to others. And those others are people, again, that's, they're making their livelihood. And you can say, well, you're not supposed to make money on YouTube. People do. If you're okay, if you're okay with using the site, you shouldn't, you shouldn't complain that much about it. But if people shouldn't be making money on YouTube, in your view, definitely people shouldn't be stealing money from others on YouTube. <laughs> That shouldn't happen at all. So, very, very happy about that change. Um, so, good on the uh, the YouTube president for basically moving on this. There was a Ratchet and Clank movie that came out? Was that for real? I swear, when I first saw this, I thought it was a joke. I thought it was totally like, were you making this up? Karen, uh, who is one of the contributors to Ultimate Nintendo Guide to the NES Library... She she alerted me that this movie came out and it bombed over the weekend. I was like, are you serious? There's a Ratchet and Clank movie? Yeah, and there was one that came out. And it did awfully over the weekend. Uh, it made less than $5 million 
And this wasn't like there was nobody in this movie. There was like real stars. There was like uh, Rosario Dawson did a voice. Uh, I believe uh, Paul Giamatti did a voice. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a this is a movie with real people. Uh, Sylvester Stallone did a voice. John Goodman did a voice. So why why did they make a Ratchet and Clank movie? Is my first question. And did, and did they realize that like most of the kids that would have seen this movie? I have no idea who Ratchet and Clank are. I mean, that's just, just that should just jump out you as the reason why this movie failed. First and foremost, is that Ratchet and Clank, their popularity probably peaked what like ten years ago on the PlayStation Two. Is that fair to say? I'm not a big Ratchet and Clank sort of person that knows about their history but what was the last big game that they made was it in the past five years even they've done mobile games um full frontal assault came out in 2011 but that was a tower defense game what so it's basically like a glorified mobile game and then they had a going mobile as a game jesus they did a collection that came out but that doesn't count. That's a collection. It's all of their old games. So they haven't had a big game. I'm going to say not even knowing that much about Ration Clank in at least five, six years, at least. You, so you can't put out a game, uh, excuse me, you can't put out a movie about a video game that's an animated movie geared towards, uh, toward children and expect them to go to it if those children haven't played the games. Is, am I being crazy saying that? At the very least, it's got to be geared towards, I guess, like teenagers who play the game as kids like eight years ago. So these are like 16-year-olds and 19-year-olds. They ain't going to see it. They grew they grew out of it. So this movie was for absolutely no one, I think. Then I watched the trailer, and it was just a toothless, bland trailer that was just like... It was weird because there was like children humor, but some adult humor thrown into the trailer... So it wasn't, I didn't crack a smile once. You know, like, it's one thing to make a, 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 a movie about Angry Birds, which you could even say Angry Birds had its day in the sun like three, four years ago. And that, like, nowadays, who cares? But still, a ton of people knew and play Angry Birds. And those are a lot of adults that played Angry Birds. It wasn't just kids. A lot of adults said, oh, I love Angry Birds, you know. Um, and they still play now. Like I said, Ratchet and Clank is. is 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 a really strange choice for a movie, and I I was shocked that first of all I was shocked that I hadn't seen I hadn't seen any advertising for it I didn't know it was coming out I don't think I saw any trailer originally I didn't see the trailer until until someone pointed it out to me Karen, um, and it just got demolished at the box office, which which normally you wouldn't care that much, but unfortunately you have studio heads that'll be like well you see. It's a video game movie. We shouldn't make it. We we shouldn't make a Legend of Zelda movie now because Ratchet and Clank did awfully. They won't put they they don't know enough to realize that Ratchet and Clank wasn't a viable franchise to make into a mainstream movie to begin with. So that they, they shouldn't have done it. That's the problem with this. Uh, so, yeah, and on Rotten Tomatoes, it's just like what is it? Eighteen percent. What is it in Rotten Tomatoes? It it, it, it it didn't do well. That's for sure. 18% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
with an average rating of 4.1 out of 10. Uh, consensus, Ratchet and Clank may satisfy very young viewers who, who won't know what it's based on, by the way. And you're not going to get them in the theater because of that. But compared to the many superior options available to families and animation enthusiasts, it offers little to truly recommend. Yeah, if you're a, if you have a family, you got kids, go see Jungle Book. Awesome reviews, 94% fresh and Rotten Tomatoes. That's what you're going to see. Or or freaking Zootopia. You know, go see that. 98% on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. You know, so go see that stuff. Not 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 something based on a video game that has been popular in like uh, ten years. That that's insane. Real quick about AMC, we forgot to talk about, talk about this on the podcast last time, <clears throat> but they at first said they were looking into allowing uh, texting in theaters. AMC is one of the bigger, 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 bigger theater chains, along with like Regal. And they said they were, they, were th- they, were, they thought that it would be a good idea to have at least some theaters that allow texting to sort of, uh, you know, identify with the millennium, millennium uh, folks. Because they text and because they don't have a t- an attention span to watch a movie, I guess. The Millennials. Excuse me, I say Millennium. That was a nice show on Fox. The Millennials. They figured that, well, we fill out texting. The Millennials love social media. So they can just Instagram and fucking Periscope while we're in the theater. That's a great idea. So they can just pirate your movie, by the way, with their phone while they're watching. I, I can't believe you didn't think of that AMC or talk to fucking Hollywood Studios about it. Um, they can go on Instagram, Periscope, Snapchat from the theater, good scenes they want. And that'll be a great idea to do that. And holy shit was the backlash immense. And, and, and thank God it should have been. They they freaking turned around and apologized out their ass within like 24 or 36 hours after after that uh, CEO or president gave the interview. Holy crap. What an awful idea. Um, their letter, part of it. AMC listens to our audience. Yes to theater enhancements. No to texting. Uh... During the past few days, you may have heard media reports about another uh, idea AMC Theaters was considering, testing whether some moviegoers might wa- want texting allowed in a small selection of our theaters. Uh, unlike our other many AMC advancements you, that you have applauded, we have heard loud and clear that this concept, this is a concept our audience does not want. In this age of social media, we get feedback from you almost instantly, and as such, we are constantly listening. Accordingly, just as instantaneously, this is an idea that we have relegated to the cutting room floor. And you know why they had to come out and do that 180? Because there are people on social media, uh, people that I know, and others saying, if you allowed this AMC, I would never go to your theater again, and I was going to be probably one of those people. Why would you encourage this bullshit behavior? You go to a movie theater, you're paying like 14 bucks. And I don't care if it's in a small selection. Uh, it wouldn't be in every single theater or all the screens. Because then you're taking away uh, other tickets and f- you're going to be forcing people into those. So say Civil War comes out. Say you have five theaters overall. What if you allow texting in two of them? And they're sold out in the other three. I got I to gotta either wait to see it another week or go into your fucking texting theater? No, that's insane. That's insane. And, and I hope uh, anyone who identifies as a millennial 
took this as a direct insult to say, what, I'm so stupid that you think that I can't stay off my phone for two hours? And yes, there's some millennials that, that, that can't. And I'll get to you millennials in a second uh, directly about something else. But uh, yeah, that's insane. Turn your phone off, watch the freaking movie, and shut up. Or I'll stay home and wait until video on demand in three months to watch it. You can you know, do whatever you want. You could uh, chug a 40 while you're on Periscope and Instagram at the same time. I don't know why you have to cater to any sort of group. It's not like movie theaters are losing money. You might be making less money in movie theaters, but you ain't losing it, especially when you're charging 20 bucks to see a shitty 3D version of a movie that I'm not seeing. And I already am I'm, I'm pissed at that. Because that's less regular theaters now. If I go see Civil War this weekend, I then got to deal with the fact that half of them are 3D, and so that already cuts out the regular tickets. I don't like th- I don't like to be forced to see 3D. When I, don't, I don't have to. Besides the fact that it's more money, I just think it's a gimmick. So let me tell you something else about millennials, about uh, this sort of weird effect. The most interesting man in the world from Dos Equis. The only reason people know who the hell. Uh, or what the hell Dos Equis uh, beer was. Because 10 years ago, no one knew what it was. It was a really small beer. You know, uh, they bring on an awesome ad campaign with the most interesting man in the world on radio and TV. And they got rid of it this year. One of the main reasons why they want to appeal to millennials. Gonna, what, do you, what do you mean appeal to millennials? They're, they're, not, they're not drinking your beer. They're probably drinking craft beer anyway. Or, or or local brew or something. They're not going to care about Dos Equis anyway. At this point, Dos Equis is just as commercial as Budweiser. You know why? Because people found out about it because of a brilliant ad uh, marketing campaign called The Most Interesting Man in the World, and now you're forgetting about that. And you're going to piss people off. Frank's not pleased. I'm not saying Frank's going to stop buying your beer, but maybe he'll buy it less, you know? So I don't know, you millennials out there. I'm not saying you're all bad, but you have a bad rap. You know, you got to worry about your reputation and cleaning it up with each other. Cause, because this is two things within a month that texting in theaters being allowed and getting rid of an, probably the best marketing campaign I've seen in the past 15 years with the most interesting man in the world, which were honestly funny commercials that Frank and I love. You know, you guys got to watch yourselves, your, your reputation. No good. All right. Q&A time on the CU podcast. Any plans for more interviews? This is from at Crazy John T. Any plans for more interview- interviews like you did with Breno Floss? If so, who would you make your shortlist? Well, I talked to James. We kind of halfway interviewed each other or spoke back in 2010 when I filmed the uh, Family Game Funness video with him. So that's out of the question. I'd love to talk with Andre Meadows, a black nerd comedy officially. I mean, we talk, about, I don't know, once every five, six weeks or so, and we just shoot the shit about YouTube stuff and and the business aspect of YouTube. And he's one of the smarter guys I know out there in terms of building a YouTube channel, marketing yourself, and doing, uh, basically having like, not to have a negative connotation, but building a brand, which is part of being successful on YouTube and just doing good work um, and diversifying what you do. And so Andre Meadows is definitely a person I'd love to, and he's open to it. We're going to do it. I've already talked to Mike Matei. That, that's out there. And uh, Brennan Falls in the past. So he's definitely out there. Uh, outside of that, I don't know. Uh, maybe someone like... Uh, maybe someone like Gerard the Completionist. Maybe someone like... Uh, Linkara. 
does com- comic book reviews. That's sort of on the rise on YouTube. He was one of the first guys to do that. Yeah, so we'll see. Oh, I, th- I think why I like doing the interviews is because uh, it gives people a chance to see more of not just the true person. Not, not that people are fake on YouTube, but when you're talking about like uh, stuff in your personal life or running a business, it gives you, I think, a greater insight into a person that you might not be able to see if someone's just already, you know, uh, doing videos or acting in something or being more showy, show business. Uh, I think people, at least to me, want to see the, the other side. Sort of like inside the actor's studio, inside YouTube. Uh, you want to know what makes a person tick, why they do what they do, why they make decisions about what they do. Do they actually enjoy creating the videos they do? What do they see in the future for their career? I think that's very, very interesting. People ask me questions all the time about, about aspects of YouTube and decisions that are made or would you rather do this or what's in the future? So why not Why not interview people like that? So let me know in the comments who would you like Pat to potentially interview in the future, whether they're in the video game scene or not, retro game uh, scene. Uh, we kind of all know each other in the retro game scene, but I don't know everyone in the other, you know, outside of it. Like, I don't know big Let's players. Would I want to interview, I don't know, Markiplier or PewDiePie? Would they want to be interviewed? Who knows? At 8BitGhost, Pat, have you found it hard to look Judas, I mean Ian in the eye, after he turned his back on his NES collection? He didn't turn his back on his collection. He just sold off most of it. And I can't I can't totally blame the guy. I mean, he's not the antithesis of me when it comes to collecting, but uh, he doesn't need to own every game. He has flashcards now for his favorite systems. He still buys all, like, all the PC Engine games he, want, he wants, but for Nintendo... He figures, uh, why have it? Plus, he doesn't have the room to have everything. I got this extra room here, which people are always surprised to see. Like Andre Meadows, when he visited me uh, a couple months back, he came over and watched. Uh, excuse me, saw saw my game room. He's like, "Wow, I'm surprised this is so small." Yeah, this is a small room. Uh, everything's slammed into here, so not everyone has an extra room for games. So, uh, <laughs> is he a Judas? <laughs> yeah, he got he got blood money. It'd be funny if if you yeah if you, if you like coordinated a theft of all my games then then he would be the Judas. At Green Adder, are NES slash Famicom multi carts worth it for someone trying to save money on a collection? Yes and no. Um, I love collecting multi carts, Famicom multi carts. I think they're uh, interesting because you can get a lot of games. And I did uh, two reviews. Check them out. Uh, Famicom Multicart Frenzy uh, about it. They're interesting because you find a lot of games on there that didn't come out in the U.S. Uh, a lot of those earlier Famicom titles, F1 Race, uh, Macross, did I say it correctly? I don't know. Uh, Devil World. You can find a lot of stuff that didn't come out in the U.S. along with, you know, you get like some earlier, uh, Puyon, that's one that never came out here. Uh, but you also find a lot of earlier NES titles. You might find Contra on some of them. Um, you'll find a lot of black box games. But fa- uh, multi carts go for money. Now, there are ones on like AliExpress, like the Super, what is it, the Super 141 or 1 or whatever, that have uh, later games like Adventure Island 3 and Contra Force. So those could be worth it. They're like 18, 20 bucks. But I maintain if you're going to do that, and a lot of those don't have like like battery saves too. We have to watch out for. If you're going to do that, you might as well just buy a flash cart. Because not, you know, not all the the uh, multi carts 
they're not going to have all unique games on them. They're not going to have a lot of later release games on them. They're going to cost you like 20, 30, 40, 50 bucks each, depending. So spend that 140 bucks or so and just buy a, buy a flash cart. And because then with the flash cart, you not only get the NES games, you can get the Famicom games on there. And then you can also get uh, Famicom disc games. You can get the, the VS versus games on some of them. You can get save states on a lot of them. And a lot of them, like, uh, I believe on the, uh, what is it, the Crix ones, the EverDrives, you can put like, a custom screen when you boot up. I think it's a cool idea to get a flash card. I, I, like I said before, I think there's nothing wrong with it at this point to save money and to save space. You know, you don't have to worry about uh, fake games, repro labels. But, you know, but there are good, yes, there are good uh, multi-cards out there. But, uh, again, it depends on if you want the, the original. Do you want the original item or not? And if a multi-card's not the original anyway. It's a pirate cart. Even though I love collecting pirate carts, I have about eight or nine that I think are pretty cool. Just because there's always, there's always goofy artwork on them. Or it'll say, like, you know, you'll, you'll have artwork on it for stuff that didn't come out, like, uh, on the system. Like, I believe on the, the Famic- on the Pathian's Punk uh, Famicom uh, video, there was, like, the artwork for, like, a, for Zelda but it was like uh, Twilight Princess graphics on it or something like that, I, I believe. So they're, they're just goofy fun. Plus there's like ROM hacks on uh, multi-cards. That's the other thing I do always say about the multi-cards. There's some like, really interesting ROM hacks. Go and watch that Path to Indians Punk uh, Famicom video when you get a chance. It's one of my under underappreciated uh, videos, I think. Okay, this is from at iBrainiac. An early congratulations on reaching 200k subs. What is some advice you would give to new YouTubers trying to make it? Wow, that's a question I get asked often, for sure. It's it's tough to have specific advice. It depends on your genre, but I'll just say this. Uh, success on YouTube depends a lot on consistency of content, quality of content, doing something either no one has done before, or something unique, or doing something early enough before others start to do it. So, if you're the only guy doing Let's Plays of a certain game before it gets popular, and you know your SEO, you know how to title things and do descriptions, you're going to be successful probably. You're going to game the system. But that's a key though. How are you going to know play a game that maybe, maybe won't get popular? Probably won't. Um, consistency. you got to put out a video at least once a week. At least once a week. In order to have a chance. Can't go once a month. This isn't YouTube back in, you know, 2009, 2010. Everyone's putting out more videos. The, the way the analytics work and the way the system works, the algorithms, you can't, you have to put out consistent content. You have to put it out. Um, so that's important. You also have to make sure that you're, you don't have to have, as long as you have to put out stuff that, you know, industrial light and magic in, ter- in terms of that effects or, or that well polished. But you, you should be competent. You should be able to light a little bit, have decent audio. That's important. I, I'd say audio and lighting are the two biggest things, even more than how your picture looks and how you frame stuff. But the other thing is that people can sniff out bullshit, I, at least I think. I think, I, in my heart, people can sniff out bullshit when people are trying to be inauthentic or people are trying to flail and just come out whatever they think is going to be the next big thing or do whatever is popular. You have to be yourself. And if yourself is awkward, 
be your awkward self, but work with it. Do what you can. Or maybe the YouTube thing's not for you. You know, but don't be don't don't fake it until you make it because it doesn't work in the long term. I believe that. Are there people out there that are fakes that have made it? Yes, in terms of how they act to others behind the scenes, because I've seen it firsthand, I've seen others, but I mean on camera. I mean on camera. Don't be something you're not. Work with what you have. And nurture it, or, or at least learn. Don't, don't put on a fake personality or be overly uh, goofy guy. If that's not in your personality, be, to be even a little bit goofy. Work with what you have, both uh, physically, with the equipment, with the lighting, you know, build up. But work with it in yourself creatively, too. I think that's important. And that's the best I can say right now without getting into it further and knowing precisely what you want to do on YouTube because there are some genres that are different than others. Video games is different than doing comic reviews or toy reviews or anything else. So this is from at really K nerd, real K, real, real KY nerd. Why don't they just release an official Nintendo remastered Super Nintendo Entertainment System? Well, because Nintendo likes money. Nintendo wants money. So, it doesn't make sense for Nintendo to put out aftermarket systems that other companies are already doing. Remember, the patents are gone for the Nintendo Super Nintendo. They're gone. Bye. Which means anyone can make the system. So, they're not going to be able to put a product into the market that will be competitively priced as the other aftermarket ones to begin with are. Or they'll be, the, or they'll be priced the same. It'll cost them more to get them to shelves. First off, second of all, they won't be any better. Most likely, third off, third off, they don't they don't know how to make those systems anymore. They gotta put the plants together and do all that. So that's keeping them from doing it. It's like what's the, what's the point? But most importantly, they won't be making won't be making any money off of the software for it. They're not making cartridges anymore, and they never will again. They're selling five dollar, eight dollar, ten dollar. Downloadable titles on the Wii Shop and the eShop and the 3DS, they're making basically 100% profit on those. There's, these are games that have been not sold in stores for 25, 30 years. So any cent they make is pure, unadulterated profit. They ain't making cartridges anymore for games that came out 25, 30 years ago. It makes no sense to do that. They're just going to keep pumping out or your third-party games that they're taking a cut of the profit from. You know, like, again, pure profit. No overhead. They don't have to worry about, oh, they got to store the game on a server. Yeah, so what? They they, they, they own a, a warehouse of, of, of servers. It Does, doesn't matter to them. So, again, th- there's no money to be made. And, the, and plus, they'd be cannibalizing their downloadable games if they came out with it. Because then they'd be saying, okay, people, buy buy this system for your Super Nintendo games. So then you won't, you won't have to rebuy them for the third time on the 3DS and or Wii U and or NX. It doesn't make any sense. So I see this question a lot. I'm not saying it's a dumb question, but I think you don't, you have to understand business, business at least a little bit to see that there's no reason for Nintendo to come out with systems that they haven't produced in 20 years. There's no money to be made. If that was the case, they would never stop making the Super Nintendo when they stopped probably producing it, I don't know, 97 or so. Or 96, probably the last time they, they produced it. it. It's just, yeah. They'd be shooting themselves in the foot. The same way when people say, why doesn't Nintendo become a software company only and stop making hardware? 
because they need the software for the new games. The hardware both need to sell. So then it makes sense to make hardware because you're selling new software. But for old games that they're not making software anymore for, there's no reason to make the hardware. They go together. And that's all for this CU podcast. Thanks a lot for coming out. Ian, we'll be back next week. Uh, check out uh, the CU podcast Patreon. It's patreon.com slash pixelsickle, P-X-L-S-I-C-L-E. You can watch the entire podcast in video form before all the segments hit the web. And if you want to advertise or be a sponsor of the CU Podcast, email cupodcast at thepunkeffect.com. And I'm going to Norway next week, Retro Spill Messing. That'll be fun. New Path to NES Punk episode in the work. My book is Ultimate Nintendo Guide to the NES Library, and that's available at ultimatenes.com for the digital that you can can read right now on your computer or tablet, or you can pre-order the physical version, which will come out in the summer. So for Pat Contry, that's me. There's no Ian Ferguson. He'll be back. I will see you later.